Hello and welcome to Women in Confidence with me, Vanessa Murphy, HR expert, confidence coach and now podcaster. This podcast discusses all things to do with confidence in life and in work. And this is a podcast for women who want to learn what confidence is, how to obtain it and how to maintain it and learn how confidence can help you grow and flourish. Every week, I introduce you to amazing women who have interesting stories to tell about confidence. Through their stories, insights, hints and tips, you realise that a lack of self-belief or low self-esteem is common and also very human. But by listening to them, you'll take away what they have done to show up confidently on the inside as well as on the outside. When we don't trust ourselves and are afraid to share our thoughts, feelings, truths and voices, we diminish the light spark within us. When we fail to celebrate our successes, make light of our achievements or retreat, we dampen the fire that sparks our greatness. These are just some of the words of my guest this week, Samantha Goldsmith. Samantha is a spiritual leadership and business mentor, helping multi-passionate women embody all parts of themselves. Using sacred strategy and powerful energetics, she helps her clients embody their brilliance, awaken the rebellion in their soul and unleash the impact they are destined to have. She's such a great guest for Women in Confidence, and I hope you enjoy meeting Sam as much as I did. Hello, Sam, and welcome to Women in Confidence. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I'm just so excited to have you on. So um, the feeling is very mutual. So tell everybody where you are at the moment, because I think this is really important that people understand what's happening in your part of the world. Sure. So I'm in a little area of southeast Queensland in Australia called the Gold Coast. And this is normally like the beach capital of Australia, but at the moment it's becoming a bit of a a flood and swamp uh, capital, unfortunately. So yeah, we've got quite severe weather happening here at the moment and a lot of um, flooding that's unfortunately destroyed people's homes. And yeah, there's a lot of of, uh, heartache happening in this area at the moment. But the good news is you're okay and your house is okay and your family's okay. Yes, I'm very, very fortunate. I live near the beach and uh, my house is completely okay. Um, just so everyone's aware, you might hear the birds in the background. Australia has probably the noisiest birds in the world, <laughs> but they've do. just popped up to say hello because apparently there's another storm coming and this is their reaction to it. So if you hear, hear the birds in the background, I mean, just enjoy them because they are amazing and we'll just get on with the interview anyway. So let's do that. Let's ask my first question. And that is, what does having confidence mean to you? So having confidence for me really means trusting myself or trusting yourself. And uh, throughout my work, I talk about that as the basis for any decision making. So real true kind of unresolvable confidence for me comes from trusting yourself. And that trust in yourself, is that something that you've had to learn to do? Or is that something that you've always just been, well, I trust myself, it's easy. It's definitely not easy. Uh, It's something that I hold myself to account on every single day. And um, I always say that it's a new level, same devil kind of scenario that um, it's, it's something that we have to be really I don't want to say working on because there's so much work that we, you know, get pressured with, but I feel that it's something that we have to hold a commitment to because as we grow, um, a new sort of devil arises and that all those little icky bits or sticky bits that uh, have held us up in the past come back. And um, so I don't 
feel that I'm a self-confidence expert. I don't feel that I'm any type of superhuman ability or anything like that. I'm really honestly um, holding myself to that standard every day to just trust myself more and to deepen that trust in myself more and more. So when you're in a state of trusting yourself, how do you know you're trusting yourself? I mean, what does that feel like for you? So I feel that it's about attuning to ourselves and getting to know ourselves. So um, for me, it's really based on knowing that I'm operating from my internal guidance. And even if that sometimes feels scary, if I do have that certainty inside that I'm honoring my feelings or I'm listening to my intuition or I'm honoring the way that's arising in my body, then I can feel confident to move forward in trust even if it feels a little bit uncertain or shaky or scary, um, it's the inner um, guidance or inner integrity that I'm looking at when I'm deciding whether I'm trusting that action or not. And when was the last time that you found yourself in a, a scary, I don't mean that in a you know terrifying way, but in a, in a situation where you felt a little bit nervous and you've had to rely on your trust? When was that last time? Probably this morning. <laughs> Um, it happens every day. There's just little things. And I'm actually about to start an uh, Instagram real series on this because I feel like it's the miracles that we can find every day if we look for, you know, things meaning everything or meaning nothing on a daily basis. And that happens to me quite a lot throughout my day. But today it happened to me because I was thinking about investing in a um, program with a coach. And it doesn't really make sense to me, this coach's specific program that I'm being called to do but it's come out of the blue and the name of it is pressing on me repeatedly so I feel like that is a program that I'm going to have to sign up for even though it wasn't the one I was going to her work or her um, website for it's been um, it's been pressing on me so that's an indication I think of trusting myself that you know it's a financial investment sometimes those financial investments can give rise to an anxiety about you know, what, whether we can afford it, what's the return on investment, blah, blah, blah. Um, but the impetus is coming from within to choose that particular one. So I'm trusting myself to go for it with that one. So we're going to talk a little bit about what um, what you do, because this is one of the reasons why I got you on. And the, the, the hook was really was your, about your book and your business and the term Her Great Rebellion. I just thought if someone's talking like that, I've got to have someone like that on my show. So talk to me about Her Great Rebellion. Um, I guess I can tell you about it as a concept and then I could tell you more about how it's actually been sort of operationalized in my own life, if that feels, mm. feels good. Um, so as a concept, it's really about activating um, a sacred, what I'm calling rebellion within ourselves, which is following that inner guidance and inner decision-making process, even in the face of ridicule or what else, or I don't know, just kind of uh, going against the grain, I guess, of your normal of your normal life or the normal expectations that that may be placed upon us. So I've called it rebellion because I feel like it's something that takes a decision and often some effort or commitment or recommitment because we have that sort of niggling feeling or thought process occurring in our heart or in our being and it actually takes something to put it 
forward or put it in, forward into the world. And even if that's just being ourselves, you know, that um, the book subtitle is Overcoming the Fear of Being Yourself because what I've observed within myself and within women who I work with is that there is this sort of undercurrent of fear that if we fully expose ourselves or fully express ourselves, we won't be liked or we'll be judged or, you know, we'll be rejected. And ultimately everything comes back to a fear of not being loved. But um, the rebellion is choosing yourself and choosing to honour those thoughts and feelings and desires that are arising within you uniquely and um, moving forward from that place. And choosing yourself, why why wouldn't we choose ourselves? I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons, which I know you're going to uncover, but it feels so natural to just choose yourself. But what gets in the way? Yeah, well, I think when we are connected to our heart and we're speaking, um, you know, from truthful places within us, it seems easy. And then we get frustrated, like, why hasn't this happened? You know, I, I, my intention was to choose myself and now I've found myself, you know, totally overwhelmed by the day-to-day demands of life. And I think for women especially, we are not conditioned to put ourselves first. We're conditioned to do everything else and then if there's time left over, um, it'll be for us. And the extension of that is really, runs really, really deep because people think that it's making time for yourself, you know, having a cup of tea or having a massage or something like that. But it's actually a lot, lot deeper. And this overwhelming um, conditioning that we have in our society to do everything for everybody else first really does us a disservice by chipping away. And in my book, I call this um, a thousand acts of tiny, tiny acts of self-betrayal. But when we say yes to something that we mean no to or no that we mean yes to, those tiny little acts of self-betrayal chip away at our sense of self and our true, um, authentic, unique selves. And so we actually don't even know how to choose ourselves first a lot of the time because we are so conditioned to not doing that or understanding what it even means. Um, and, of course, you know, there's all the other elements of choosing ourselves sometimes means disappointing someone else or hurting somebody else or not being liked or causing a disturbance. And this is where we see, like, the unique pathways that start um, cropping up in people's lives based on their upbringing and their experiences. And I go very esoteric with it even into Um, the patterning that they're bringing into this lifetime based on generational things and yeah that sort of stuff and so the book and and the work that you do and your podcast I mean you've got so much going on when you talk about rebellion is that saying rebel against some of your belief systems not that the reality might be different but the belief is probably the one that's most entrenched and probably difficult to shift so are you saying rebel against your own thinking to find that trust and that peace Yeah, it's a great question and a tricky one because I see we have this association with rebellion being sort of, you know, negative or causing a ruckus or anarchy or something like this. But I talk about this idea of sacred rebellion uh, and it's more actually aimed around being really kind and gentle to yourself and accessing the true uh, nature of ourselves as um, limitless beings, which is never to, you know, to criticize ourselves and speak harshly to ourselves and do any of those kind of things. So, yes, I think it's about 
challenging the beliefs that are not really our own. And I talk about it in my book as uh, bringing light or giving light to the illusions or the illusory thoughts that are dictating how we experience our lives and how we move forward and navigate different situations in our lives. So how did you get to writing a book called Her Great Rebellion? How did that process come about and what's your journey? Yeah, so I had a desire to write a book for a long time, probably for about 10 years actually, and my heartfelt desire was to write a book in co-creation with with the intelligence of the universe, really. That sounds a bit um, woo-woo, I know, to go there straight away in the podcast, but um, it's true. Like I didn't want to be expressing my ideas or talking to people in a lecturing tone about what they should or shouldn't do. And so this book I tried to write many times and it just didn't flow and it didn't feel inspired or guided. And this time um, it came at the most unexpected time, actually. I left a, a very emotionally and psychologically abusive relationship and that relationship breakdown was actually the catalyst for a very um, significant sort of spiritual reconciliation I guess within myself and that gave rise to writing the book and I just decided that I was going to write the book in 40 days because that felt good and um, I had a mentor that had talked about writing books in 40 days and so I set that goal for myself and the book actually just flowed. Um, some days I <clears throat> I had a writing limit every day, but some days I didn't do much, which is part of my um, human design if I'm following that uniquely and correctly for myself. And then other days I did heaps. So, you know, some days I did 500 words, some days I did 5,000, but I actually wrote the book in 54 days um, and it flowed from that space, which is why I'm so proud of it, because I say in there that I don't take credit or or take blame for the contents, but it's based on my experience plus the what I believe to be channeling of this universal information. You know, I'm not saying anything that is not um, has not been said before, and really none of us are, none of our gurus and coaches or anyone are, but we just say things sometimes in the way that is perfect for another human being to hear and to to recognize. And that's what I believe that book to be. And you said this came about at the ending of a relationship and you went through what was a spiritual reconciliation. What does that mean? What do, what is a, re- a spiritual reconciliation? I don't know. I just said it. Um, <laughs> it sounds um, good. Yeah, I just I just said that. Um, I guess I've been on a spiritual journey for the best part of about twenty years, and so during that time, you know, I've done all the things and been to all the ashrams and the places and the people and the gurus and all that sort of stuff, and. This um, experience really broke me down to what I describe as nothingness, but I guess it's it's kind of nothingness and everything all wrapped up in one because it actually was the catalyst for me coming face-to-face with the big fears and things that I'd been avoiding. And so being sort of right in the depths of all of that I guess it was despair at that time, brought me face to face with those 
those fears and looking at those fears and working through my own methodology on myself really um, is, is the thing that got me through it. So it wasn't that I learned something new. It was more about remembering things that I already knew or or innately knew rather than what I'd been taught or learned. It's a really tricky thing to explain because I don't discount personal development, spiritual practice, anything like that, because part of my business is aimed around that. And I know that all of these things prepare us for, for potential transformations or even uh, metamorphosis. But all of it actually begins and ends with us as well. So, you know, those things can be signposts and guideposts, but these types of real reconciliations are happening within and um, so are the rebellions. So that's where that came. And during your reconciliation, what did you discover about yourself? Oh, my goodness, so much, (laughs) so much. Um, I guess the most, I should say the most, no, it's, Every chapter of the book is really related to something that I experienced myself during that process. And I think a lot of it started with a recognition of how much clutching for control we have in our day-to-day lives. And most of the things that were causing me angst, I could trace back to some type of clutching for control. And, you know, of course, clutching for control is related to trying to ensure safety and, and you know, that's a primal need or desire that we have. But the illusion of control and safety uh, and recognising that was probably the most significant starting point. And then when you recognise that, what, what, how did you go about then acting on it and doing something with it? I think I just had to recognise that it was happening that was the beginning step. So um, I do, I used to have a podcast called Namaste Type A because I, you know, have lived with type A tendencies my whole entire life. And so the desire with the type A tendency is to want to do something and to control and to fix and to organize and to work it out and think it out. And none of that stuff was working. So it really started with just recognizing that it was happening and identifying the thought. So I guess a bit of thought work and then following that through to the feelings and allowing the feelings to to be there and not do anything about it. And then as I my mental state and my emotional state improved, then I could start kind of weaving that into a bit of a methodology that would give me some sort of actions that I could take. So now if I see that happening within myself, I do recognize it straight away and I have some self-talk and some methodology around how I get myself through that rather than what I'd done in the past, which was utilize all of my fantastic personal development to, you know, do or control or act or change rather than really relying on the energetics, which is what everything's working from and stemming from anyway well let's talk about energetics because I'm glad you brought you up that you sorry I'm glad you brought that up because I want to talk about energetics because we spoke about it when we first met so explain energetics to me again oh goodness me this is like all the big questions today (laughs) 
I think it's hard to explain energetics because for me personally, I have always believed in, you know, the fact that we live in an energetic universe. But to be honest, I felt like the laws of the universe were conspiring against me because it didn't matter what I did in terms of following all of the universal laws and principles. Things were still not flowing as they they should. And we hear this a lot, you know, we've got to be in flow, we've got to allow, we've got to, the picture gets painted of uh, a goddess, you know, like laying around on a shade lounge doing nothing. And that's how everything's going to unfold. And there's truth to an extent (laughs) in that. But for me, it was very frustrating because it gave um, me the impression that I had to, um, well, not the impression, I had the experience of doing the things that we're told we're supposed to do in all the books and, you know, The Secret is a great example of this, that, you know, you you write your things out, you do your manifesting, you do all this stuff and everything should just happen. And what I came or I've come to realize through my own life and my own work is that it's a lot more subtle than that. And it's actually energetics are the impact that our feelings, I guess, are having on the way that we see things manifesting in our lives. And quite often, especially if we're high achieving, we can be doing all the things, but we're not tending to the feelings or to the inner state. Um, And that inner state is the energetics. And that's what is interacting with the dynamics of the universe and creating the experiences that we're, we're having in our lives. So to contextualize, I guess, for listeners, it could be something like, you know, we're running a business, we're launching a program and we're doing all the things we've got all of the tech in place and all the branding and everything looks amazing and say at a very extreme level we're going home and screaming at our kids Um, for me that's a mismatch energetic mismatch because we're not tending to the inner state that allows us to be present with the children which is automatically having an effect on the way the business is working out so this is equally i guess frustrating <laughs> as it is inspiring because it's really hard for high achieving people to accept that it is important to tend to ourselves and that our state is the most important thing and you know that there's a lot more to that than just bubble baths and and massages but I believe that trusting ourselves is the basis for that because when we trust ourselves, we use our feelings as a guide and we tune into how how are we feeling in each moment and becoming more attuned to ourselves and therefore our decision-making capabilities and our innate intelligence and all those things. You were just, as you were talking, I was thinking there isn't really much of a conversation about feelings and emotions, particularly well, it just feels uncomfortable. I suppose there's a feeling and an emotion itself, but people just don't talk about it. And then when you said about making decisions, now people rarely make decisions based on feelings or I think certainly in my line of work, they make them on rational things like data and information. And so a decision based on emotions, I can imagine in certain industries, just doesn't ever happen. So now you're telling me actually your feelings are more valid. I don't know. 
<laughs> yeah, this is such a great, um, a great reflection because I totally understand exactly where you're coming from. In my previous life, I um, was an emergency nurse uh, and with an academic background and a master's degree and all those things, and I totally understand that decision-making is really taught, especially in corporate senses, to be from facts and data. And certainly if, you know, surgeon's operating on your brain, you want him operating from facts and data. But what I would ask people to consider is even when a surgeon's operating on your brain, um, and this, you know, you can find this when you read stories from these amazing doctors or amazing people that have done these sorts of things, Sometimes they'll just say something like, I don't know, I just felt I needed to put my finger there or I needed to do this first or normally I would do this, but when I saw it, I decided I should do this or that first. And, you know, that flies in the face of 10 years of medical training and 20 years of of experience or it doesn't at all because it's all of those things that help them to feel that in that moment to make that decision. So this is, um, I'm actually, I, I don't, I wasn't going to mention this, but I'm, um, I'm brewing another book at the moment and I'm talking about this kind of stuff because there's no black and white. And that's why it's important to tune into our uniqueness and to trust ourselves because it doesn't really matter what happens if we've done something from the space of I knew with 100% certainty in my being that that was what I should do. There's no real recourse for that, no matter what the consequences are. Someone Mm. will probably have something alerting, you know, that's like, but what about this situation? And I just don't believe it. Like I've I've heard these stories from mums and I've heard them from brain surgeons. So there has to be a different way in between all of that. And you talked a bit about your earlier career. So, yeah, you were a registered nurse. And how did you get into this current line of work with running your own business and with the Great Rebellion, her Great Rebellion? I had a desire pretty much my whole life to work for myself. So I've always had that entrepreneurial spirit. And when I was a nurse, I was very heavily involved in property development and renovation for profit and those kind of strategies, which just I still love, love, love everything about that to this day. But that was sort of my entrepreneurial toe dipping, I guess. Um, And then it started, I just noticed that a feeling was coming stronger that I wanted to escape the, the restriction, I guess, of some of the clinical practice and also the scheduling of having to be at work at a certain time, having to miss out on things with the family because I had to work and I really wanted to create my own, I wanted to be in charge of my own life and in charge of my own schedule and, you know, and destiny, everything that comes from from having your own business. And so I trained as a kinesiologist and I started a kinesiology practice working one-on-one with people while I was still working as a nurse. And I had a lot of money blocks, to be honest, that I didn't realize at that point. And um, I never really made a lot of money from it, not because I didn't, I wasn't good at it or I didn't see a lot of clients, but because I always, I was always operating from a space of this should be free, (laughs) you know, like this great service should be free. And so it wouldn't be right to make money from it. And that's something that I see with women I work with now, especially in the healing industry, that's very 
very deep and also greatly a great disservice because the some of these healers should be getting paid 20 times 50 times what they're getting paid because their work is so profound but anyway that's another story the catalyst actually came in the most unexpected way which was somebody approached me to run or to start an essential oils business Um, and I used essential oils and I loved them and I love this particular company I work with because their oils are all completely backed by science and they're published in journals and all these things so it was really appealing the way that it was presented to me and um, I never ever ever thought in a million years that I would run an essential oils business that was like you know I would have the clothes around my neck. Get away from me. I'm definitely not getting into that. But I did and it turned into something that I had completely never expected and I ended up working with women that were started having really significant and profound changes in the way they saw themselves, partly because of the benefits that they're receiving with their oils, but also because of the community that we'd created around the business development. And I became a bit addicted to that because the things that were happening with women were amazing. You know, women were leaving their marriages and all sorts of things because they were valuing themselves and trusting themselves for the first time maybe ever in their lives. And the beautiful thing that came out of it was a stable financial base that allowed me to think about what else I wanted to do or what I wanted to to create. So I was already financially independent, but I didn't have any sort of uh, passive income or residual income or anything like that. So it was really all, everything was always on my own steam up until that point. Sorry, a motorbike's just going past. Um, It was always under my own steam. So this was something different because it was uh, my first experience of feeling real residual income and spaciousness around things maybe not having to work out. And this comes back to the energetics. It's that when we're fully invested and we have to make something happen and we've got that mindset, it's actually quite hard to make things happen. So that oils business gave me the spaciousness to think about creating other things. And, you know, since then some things have been wildly successful and others have been flops, which is the part and parcel of um, being an entrepreneur and something we just have to learn to live with and tolerate as well. Yeah, now I uh, run programs, online programs, and I do private coaching for women, mostly uh, women in business, but a lot of other women that want to write blogs or have little passion projects that they they want to launch. And I talk about my expertise being helping women find their secret source because I just believe that every woman is an expert in something that if they spoke about it with passion from their heart could change the world. Um, And so that's what I love talking to women about. So I've got two things I want to talk to you about. One was just going back to you, you said being an entrepreneur and there are some highs and there's some flops and that's your word. How do you deal with those flops? Because for many people and certainly some of the clients I I come across is one flop and that's it. They're done. That is, I don't want to do that anymore. My confidence has been wiped. How did you cope with those? Oh, such a big, big question. This is like the million dollar thing. Um, I think 
we need to have a community and we need to have a network around us that supports the belief that we can keep going because if we just believe that we've got one chance and everyone around us, um, you know, is waiting for us to flop or fail, it makes it really, really hard. So I guess having building the muscle of being an entrepreneur is important and I feel this is a conversation that we need to have when we talk to people around establishing this idea for themselves because it is it is a fact that we have to learn to I was going to say tolerate but it's actually more embrace the duality that is inherent in being an entrepreneur and so it's really a muscle and we need people uh, or structures in place that can help and support us with that. So that's why I love coaches and communities. And, um, you know, sometimes it might just be even a podcast that you listen to that is the reference point away from what life is trying to tell you in that moment. But we need to have support. And then the second bit that I want to talk about is you said, Um, about passion projects for women and how you help them and every woman has potential essentially and every woman has something in them that they could you know talk about passionately how do you draw that out of people because again there'll be people thinking well I genuinely don't know what I could not necessarily be passionate about but I I don't know what I could build a business on and what I could sell or whatever how do you get that out of you of people I think it's a process and, you know, that's the value of having a coach as well is that people, that coaches are skilled in calling forth aspects of ourselves that we might not have had much experience with. So it's definitely a process. And uh, for me, I think it's getting to know yourself is part of that. So it may be that, that, that there's a business sort of sitting right there or it might be that it evolves over time through a process of even knowing you know what we like or what we don't like or what lights us up or doesn't as women um, is important because often we're just in the rut or the cogs of the of day-to-day life and we don't actually stop and ask ourselves those questions so there's always a starting point depending on you know every individual circumstances and what they've been exploring within themselves up into to that point I guess but I do not believe that there's a woman who I couldn't mirror something about that back to. Um, and it's happening at, at every level of, you know, this whole new, le- new level, same devil stuff. But I find a lot of women that haven't been in business before or have a little idea in their heart or um, a little inkling, they, they're the ones that have got a lot of, mental chatter around not having a thing, not being good enough, not having something special, you know, not knowing what to do. And sometimes it's the most simple thing about something in their lives that becomes the platform for the biggest, most amazing expression of something for for other women or for the world. And, yeah, I've yet to be convinced that there is a woman who wouldn't have that if that was what what she was looking for and i guess it's like everything because we can think that things mean things mean nothing or things mean everything it's all about our perception and so looking for those things or having an intention or a desire to look for those things 
um, is important because we're only going to find what we're looking for, really. You talked about your, you run programs, then could you tell me more about those? Uh, so the main program that I run is something called Rebel Life Boot Camp, Training Ground of the Sacred Rebel. And I do have some other programs that are attached to like private coaching and things like that. But this is something I'm really pouring all of my energy into from now on because it feels so right for me to have this touchstone for people to connect back to, you know, forever for as long as they want to. And so the way that it works is that they people receive access to six modules, which are all around knowing ourselves and accepting ourselves and connecting to the authentic parts of ourselves and, you know, all the thought work, decision-making, feeling work, human design, everything goes into that. And that's sort of like the theory and nuts and bolts of it. But the program runs with monthly live coaching calls, which are designed for people to come in and out of as in how they feel. And, you know, there's no behind in it. So they don't even need to do the modules prior or um, in any sort of sequence before coming into any of these calls. And the calls are really just deeper explorations of the topics that are sort of covered in the course and things that have covered in my book. And my intention is that we will evolve with me and with the group as a sacred container as we all evolve as human beings. And so people come in and they're in there for they're in there for life. They're in there for as long as they want to be, but it's a, a touchstone and a reference point and a place to keep re-presencing ourselves to possibility rather than probability, which is, you know, the way that most of us are operating as human beings. So that is kind of like my my third baby, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you say you're in it for life because this sort of work never stops actually. I think sometimes it takes a while to get started, but once you start, it's very difficult to stop it because it's mm. so addictive and the um, the growth and the learning and the understanding yourself is really actually quite addictive. Mm. And I, I know because I'm sort of going through that. I think I started really about two years ago, which is quite late, I suppose, into my life, but it is addictive. So I really like that you say it's for life because it, it is or it should be. Yeah, and it's natural that it would be because with every evolution, something else is going to be born and something else is going to come about within us that um, gives us insight into another little sticky thing that we need to be looking at or tending to. And that's that's just normal. That is part of what, you know, actual evolution is. And so it would be unrealistic for us to expect that it wouldn't um and this is a side point I didn't mean to say this but I just feel compelled to say it anyway that it's what I believe to be a disservice that has been handed down through much of the personal development sort of industry is things are touted as the silver bullet you know the magic potion this is going to be the thing once you do this course you're going to get all the clients once you do this one you're going to create all the things and when you do this you'll get the husband or whatever it is you know like there's always those promises and guarantees and I'm still struggling and trying to find a way that I'm going to be able to be comfortable with my own marketing because the first thing I say to people is 
let's just start from a basis point that that is never going to happen. And, you know, you can pretend it is and you can think it is and you can search for things all the time, but until you actually trust yourself and until you make your inner guidance and your decision-making inner compass, you know, the in charge of your decision-making, we're always going to be at the effect of evolution, which means that we've got to keep growing and we've got to keep knowing ourselves more and refining and discerning and, you know, it gives rise to more desires and all of those things. So it's not realistic to expect that there is going to be anything that's going to be the panacea. I totally agree with you. What's your one piece of advice for people who are listening and think, I just want to understand or I want to get from Sam one thing I can do that will really help me build my confidence or maintain my confidence? I think beginning to turn your attention inward and having an intention to receive inner guidance. Sometimes that can sound a bit woo, especially if um, if you haven't done it before, but just having an intention to listen to yourself, to even understand what that might mean or look like or feel like, that's probably the number one thing that I could I could recommend. And, you know, of course we could talk about this for days and mm. weeks and years, but just beginning to even ask yourself, what does this mean to me? How does this feel to me? Directing that inwards rather than looking outwards for answers or asking for opinions or second opinions or any of those clutchings to just tune in in any situation, any moment, any opportunity to discern or make decisions and see how you feel inside. What do you say to those women who say, okay, I'm I'm quite happy to ask myself, but what if I don't find anything? Like I literally don't know, or they actually don't like what they're hearing from themselves. Yeah, well, those are two completely different things, aren't they? (laughs) So that's, I guess, the first thing. It's like sometimes sometimes we don't hear things. That's okay because we might go and have a shower later and it might just pop into our minds while we're having a shower. But often it's we do hear things and we are ignoring them or we're failing to trust ourselves enough to take action on them. So those are two distinctions I think that, you know, we need to just be honest with ourselves and mm-hmm. our, our bodies, our inner intelligence, our inner being, all these things, it's, it's all part of our experience to lead us towards more fulfilling circumstances, whatever they are or whatever they relate to or, you know, whichever goal I guess is sometimes the thing that people are looking at this questioning in relation to. Everything is uh, we, we live in a loving universe that's directing us towards good decision-making. And unfortunately, it's our humanness often that's overriding that, not listening to it, not wanting to hear it, not following it. And women will hear this and some probably will be activated, but others and probably the majority that are listening to your podcast because they, they're wanting to hear this kind of information will know that every mistake they've made in their life, they're pretty much felt an inkling not to do it or to say something different or to go a different way or to not accept that behavior or whatever it was but there there was something that was going on that was directing them in a certain way good decisions and bad decisions I guess you know everybody's had that I don't know why I did it I just felt like oh this was going to be the right thing and 
the tendency for women can be, oh, no, I did, I did think through all the consequences and I still thought that I should definitely do this. And it's just never true, you know, like it's so obvious with relationships, I think. It's really obvious. But, you know, we do have those inklings and knowings and understandings, but whether we're choosing to lead ourselves in powerful ways or not is a different thing. Well, Sam, thank you very much for being on the show. I'm afraid we've actually run out of time. These interviews or these conversations, really, they just fly by, which because I'm enjoying it so much and I just want to hear more. But we've been talking for about nearly 50 minutes. So we do actually have to bring this to a close. So how can people find you? What's the, the place that you can direct our listeners to? I think the best place is to have a look at uh, my website, which is just my name. So it's www.samanthagoldsmith.com and um, all the things are on there. And there's actually also a free um, self-doubt eraser meditation that people can download there if they want to. And um, I'm going to change that soon. So maybe download it if you like and then um, jump on my list and you'll receive the next freebie which is going to be an activation um audio track so yeah that's probably the best place otherwise all the normal social media things but to be honest I'm a little bit hit and miss with them so <laughs> website's <laughs> the place yeah <laughs> most people are like I show up three times a day on Instagram and la 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 and like oh maybe every once a week maybe yeah. <laughs> and, and have you got any programs running yeah, so I've got the Rebel Life Bootcamp. I'm actually launching a uh, live round, which is going to be an unusual occurrence because we're going to have six bonus uh, live coaching calls over the six modules. Otherwise, uh, that's launching on the 14th of March. Otherwise, anybody can join anytime they like and jump in and um, get started. All right, lovely. And I'll put all that those details in the notes to this Perfect. episode so people can go and, go and track those down and, and join. So I just want to say... Um, Again, thank you, Sam, for joining me. And we should also say thank you to the birds because they've been a constant throughout this this podcast. So thank you to the birds of Queensland. And thank you very much for joining me, Sam. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Women in Confidence and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, then please like it, share it, comment on it, and if you want to, sponsor it. If you'd like to take part in my podcast or know somebody who would make a perfect guest, then please email me on contact at vanessa-murphy.com. That's contact at vanessa-murphy.com. Until next time.